Better is one day, better is one day than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day, better is one day, better is one day than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Than thousands elsewhere. Father, we come before you tonight and we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to gather as your people. We thank you, Lord, for the, the privilege. Lord, just to, to, to be here with the body of Christ, Lord, and to study your word together, Lord. Lord, it is better, better to be in your courts than anywhere else, Father. And we're going to celebrate that tonight as we get into your word, Lord. Touch every person that is here and every person that is listening. Lord, just, uh, just bless them right where they're at. Meet them right where they're at, Lord, and do a work in their lives. Father, we thank you again for this time. We pray that you'll bless this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening. Why don't you say hello to the person next to you? Well, good Good evening. I am uh, really, really honored to be here on Latin Day. As, uh, in case you caught what Sean said, you know, we're, uh, you know, um, last week when I was here, you may remember, I started with a simple question. And I won't go through the whole <laughs> explanation, but the question was, do you ever feel like you need more strength? Do you ever feel like you've just come to the end of your, your own strength, your own abilities, and you know that only in the Lord are you going to be able to continue? And I think it's safe to say that we all feel that from time to time, right? I think it's safe to say that we all need more strength, especially when some of the issues of life can get the best of us. So tonight, I want to continue what I started last week, and that's to look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, as we cover the second part of a three-part series. The title of this series is Be Strong. So far in this series, we have looked at how, how Paul wrote some, some direct and encouraging words to Timothy, who was a young pastor at the church in Ephesus. You see, Paul sensed that he had to challenge Timothy to go beyond his limitations. He had to encourage him to move forward in God's provision and not on his own strength and not on his own abilities. And I think that's a challenge that we should all consider for ourselves, for our own lives. You know, we just have to get to that point sometimes where we must recognize our insufficiency. Our, un, our, our, our inability to continue 
without strength from the Lord. We must recognize our insufficiency so that the Lord can come up with what we don't have to be our sufficiency. And he's so faithful at that, isn't he? Our sufficiency is in Christ, isn't it? See, then Paul directs Timothy to multiply what the Lord was doing and to look for faithful men and women who can teach the testimony of God from their own lives, spreading the message of grace to more and more people. You know, that's what we see going on every time there's a service here, isn't it? Somebody is spreading the message of the Lord in this place. We do that every time uh, there's a service. Uh, the children's ministry, they're doing that every time there's, there's kids in those rooms. The message is being spread by faithful men and women. But then in the next, just a few verses later, he gives Timothy and he gives us three powerful examples of who we can imitate as we seek to establish consistency in our walk with Christ. He talks about the soldier, the athlete, and the hard-working farmer to make clear to each of us that a disciplined life can pay, pay great dividends by providing rewards and honors that can only be realized when serving the Lord and serving the body of Christ. So tonight, we'll continue to cover this second chapter. We'll look at verses 8 through 19. And we'll begin by reading verses 8 through 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. At verse 8, it says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, in which I suffer ill as an evildoer, even to bonds. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation with which, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, this part of this chapter gets into some very great principles that make up the foundation of our faith. The first word that he says in verse 8 is remember. And that's very good advice, isn't it? That's very good advice because we need to come back to the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We need to remember that on that Good Friday, you've heard the saying, he paid a debt that he did not owe because we owe a debt that we could not pay. On Sunday morning, on, Re on Resurrection Sunday, he defeated death and the culture of death, giving us the opportunity to receive the free gift of eternal life. What a privilege. What an honor. We need to remember that. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We can be so encouraged and strengthened, strengthened to, to persevere in whatever we might face in this life when we remember these foundational truths. When we understand that there is no greater foundation available to all of mankind than the foundation that we find in Christ Jesus. He told the Corinthian church this, in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, and beginning at verse 10. It says, According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let every man be careful how he builds on it. For, for any other foundation can no man lay 
than the one being laid who is Christ Jesus. And if anyone builds on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each one's work shall be revealed. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try each one's work as to what kind it is. If anyone's work which is built remains, he shall receive reward. See, the stronger the foundation, the greater the structure that is built on it. The only real foundation that we can build is on Jesus Christ and him crucified, isn't it? How many times have you seen a building project somewhere? You know, and oftentimes a, a lot can be empty for months and months, even years sometimes, you know, while uh, all the permitting goes on and, and uh, maybe the sale of the land. And then finally, there's some work going on in that corner, and there's bulldozers, and there's all kinds of dirt being torn. And then they put that fence around the whole property, and you can't really see anything unless one of the gates is open or unless you walk up to it and you look through the, the, the green mesh that is covering the whole property. And if you are able to look through it or if you pass by, you know, you pass by there every day anyhow, you pass by and you can see, maybe a gate's open and you can see that they've dug way down deep way down deep, maybe two, three, maybe even five floors down because they're setting the foundation. And it doesn't matter if it's going to be, you know, a five-story building or a 12-story building or even greater than that. They have to build the foundation first. And it could be months. It could even be years before we actually see something come above that fence level because that foundation is so important, isn't it? See, we know that everything in this book is living and relevant to every situation that we face. If we build on the truth and power of God's word, then everything that we do in our life of faith will line up with God's word because it is able to penetrate the heart. It is able to, to get to the heart of the matter every time. See, that is the foundation that we can build on a relationship with Jesus Christ, isn't it? So moving on to verse 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks about all of the things that he had to deal with as a servant of the Lord. You see, because he proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified, he was beaten and imprisoned many times. Verse 9 says, in which I suffer ill as an evildoer, even to bonds. But the word of God is not chained. Because he proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified, he was beaten and imprisoned. Paul suffered reproaches, persecutions, whippings, beatings, many sleepless nights, as well as stoning and imprisonment. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. See, he suffered all this for the sake of the gospel. No doubt, there's no doubt in any of our minds, I believe, that Paul was committed to preaching the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we get a summary, just a summary of all that he had to deal with. In verse 24, it says, Five times from the Jews I received 40 stripes minus one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the deep. I have been in travels often in dangers from waters, in dangers from robbers, in dangers from my race, in dangers from the heathen, in dangers in the city, in dangers in the wilderness, in dangers on the sea, in dangers among false brothers. I have been in hardship and toil, often in watchings, in hunger and thirst, often in fastings, in cold and nakedness. I have to say that in looking at these verses, honestly, I felt kind of unable to identify with this, with what Paul had to deal with. And I think it's easy for us to do sometimes. We can dismiss. I mean, sure, you, you read it and, you, and it has an effect and it, uh, you, know, you think about it, but we don't experience anything like this, do we? We don't even get close to anything like this. So as I was looking at this, I just felt like the Lord was directing me to, to look at what Paul had to deal with. but to look at what others are dealing with today. As we speak, there are modern-day Christians who are persecuted for their faith. We don't talk about that often. We don't talk about the persecution of the church often, do we? There are believers today that, that have probably have been persecuted from different countries around the world. And when you begin to think about it from that perspective, it puts everything in a different perspective, doesn't it? Many have suffered and are suffering as we speak in many places around the world. So we can dismiss, you know, not intentionally, but we can dismiss what Paul was talking about. But it, it kind of, like it brings it back home when you begin to look at believers who are dealing with this type of hostility today. Christian persecution is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of being, of being a Christian. From verbal harassment to hostile attitudes and actions, Christians in areas with severe religious restrictions pay a heavy price for their faith. Beatings, physical torture, confinement, isolation, rape, severe punishment, imprisonment, and slavery. These are just a few examples of the persecution believers face on a daily basis. You know, one reason, as I'm thinking about this, is that we can... You know, not intentionally, but we can dismiss this to some extent. It's, of course, because we don't deal with it ourselves. But we have to consider that this is going on in the church today somewhere around the world. According to the Pew Research Center, over 75%, that's staggering, 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions. And many of those, many of those are Christians. According to our own State Department, Christians in more than 60 countries around the world face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. think we can dismiss it again not in, not intentionally but we can dismiss it just because we don't experience it ourselves some some uh, uh, startling statistics from open doors says that every month not every year 
I know what I was going to say. <laughs> it just came back to me. We, it can be, when you're talking about the persecution of the church, it can be kind of heavy, can it? It can be kind of, kind of a bummer. But we need to look at this sometimes. We need to, at the very least, pray about this. But statistics from Open Door says that every month, not every year, but every month, 255 Christians are killed. 104 Christians are abducted. 180 women are raped, sexually harassed, or forced into marriage. 66 churches, again, every month, 66 churches are attacked. 160 Christians are detained or imprisoned without trial. Christians from around the world are suffering for their faith. You could see, I hope you can see how this kind of brings back to the right perspective what Paul had to deal with during his missionary journeys. See, believers in places like Bangladesh, Laos, Iran, Turkey, Nepal, India, and as many as 60 other countries face hostility, harassment, because they pay, and they pay a heavy price for living out their faith in Jesus Christ. See, this is, is, this is not even scratching the surface. And I share this with you because it's easy to look at what Paul went through and not have the right perspective. You know, God's timing is always perfect, isn't it? We have a brother from this church, and we have a few missionaries out around the world that we support. We have a brother, Brother Jonathan, just just came back from Nepal. I think he spent like close to 20 days in Nepal, and he was sending video video, uh, uh, you know, one or two minute video just uh, updating us on where he was going and what, what uh, different uh, uh, little villages and towns he was going into and how much he had to walk sometimes and, and how difficult, you know, just the difficulty of being in some of these lands. So I did some research and I was looking at the organization that he was with, which is Missions for Tribes and Nations. And you know, there, and there's a lot of ministries that we can each support. And I don't know if God's going to lead you to do anything with any of these organizations, but maybe he will. I know as I was looking at their particular website, there was two things that came to mind. One thing that I can identify with is they have an opportunity to send an evangelist or to, to send them a bike. Send them a bicycle so that they can get into more villages each and every day. So they can get into more villages and cover more ground and, 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 and get the message of the gospel out to more people with their bike. That's worth $100. There's another thing that comes to mind is for $600, you know, so we can pool a couple of people together maybe, they can, they can have a fountain of fresh water for a particular village. So again, I don't know, you know, here we have a brother that just came from there. And maybe we can, we can do something with that. There's, there are others in our church that are doing great things out around the world. And if we can, we should do something to support that work, shouldn't we? I don't know how God's going to use that, but as, as we think about what Paul had to deal with and we think about what Christians today have to deal with, Maybe we should think about how little we have to deal with 
as we go out and share the gospel. And if God is leading you in any way that we would help to support one or some of these organizations. Again, in, First Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, it says, In which I suffer ill as an evildoer, even to bounds, but the word of God is not chained. He says, I am being treated like a criminal. I am even being shackled for preaching the gospel. But even though I'm in shackles, the word of God is not in shackles. The word of God has no such restrictions. See, in this country, we're spoiled. We're spoiled, and, and my brother Robert mentioned that this morning, because we don't deal with these kinds of things. We're spoiled because we're not likely to face the type of torture and abuse that Paul faced and that believers today are facing. We're not likely to experience the type of persecution that Christians around the world are facing. So I don't have all the answers I can do. As the Lord was leading me in putting this study together, I can support someone somewhere. And there's a, there are wonderful ministries out there that we can support if God is leading you to do that. But you see, for Paul, it comes back. It comes back to the best news for Paul is the good news, isn't it? That no matter what he had to deal with, the good news about what can happen when a person accepts the free gift of eternal life. What can happen when, when a relationship with God is established for that very first time? When a relationship is established through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. See, though Paul and other saints around the world are chained as a result of their ministry, the word of God is not chained. That's the second part of verse 9. And we know as a well-taught church that the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and that God's Word will dig into the deepest part of every situation that we face, won't it? And it doesn't change around the world. In Isaiah 55, beginning at verse 10, it says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from the heavens and does not return there but waters the earth and makes it bring out and bud, and give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be, which, which goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall certainly do what I sent it to do. God's word, when it is read or taught, will always produce fruit, won't it? It will always produce food. It, fruit it will first water and water to nourish and strengthen the heart that is listening and the life that is hungry the word of god was not chained then and it's not chained now it will accomplish the lord's will for the thirsty soul and you know sometimes i know i can do this i can prejudge situations and all and i shouldn't and we shouldn't because every soul is thirsty, isn't it? Everybody needs to hear the good news. And we should proclaim God's word every opportunity that we can. See, they did it for the body of Christ, and we should do it for the elect, those who will get saved if they hear the word of God, those who will be able to draw closer to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. 
See, we put up with whatever we have to deal with, whether it's severe penalties or just minor annoyances. We do it so that God would be glorified and people would begin to see his plan in their own lives. His plan of salvation through his goodness and his grace. Now we continue in verses 11 through 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, Faithful is the same. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we shall deny, deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them in the sight of the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, to the subverting of them that hear. You know, in verse, seven, in verse 11, the phrase, this is a faithful saying, speaks of the trustworthiness of this statement. It's a statement that Paul uses because it's a statement that is dependable. Every person that receives the free gift of eternal life, the truth that his old life ended on the cross of Christ, his old life with his old ways were all nailed to the cross. His old life died with Christ on that Good Friday, and his new life began with Christ from that moment forward, didn't it? And that is our testimony as well. Our old life is behind us. We now have a new life. We now have a new life where the, the process of sanctification has begun. And we know that he will complete that work until that work is done. When a person accepts Christ as the Lord of, the, as the Lord of his life, he, he accepts the truth that on Friday Jesus paid the penalty of our sin and on Resurrection Sunday, he defeated death and the culture of death. That's why he can say, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. In verse 12, he says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. The word endure means to, to remain and persevere in the situation that you're in. Here he says that if we endure, we shall also reign with him. To reign with him means to reign together. It means to possess supreme honor, liberty, and blessedness with one in the kingdom of God. Turn to Psalm 103 and Psalm 116. We're going to look at them briefly. You know, it's appropriate, perfectly appropriate, to consider the benefits to consider the blessings and the favor that we get when we are faithful in the things of God. Now, one thing we can't do is we can't go around chasing the promises of Scripture, can we? We can't chase the promises of Scripture if you haven't repented of your old life, if you haven't committed your heart to Christ, if you haven't let the Lord do the work that He needs to do in your life. Because without confession, there is no conversion, is there? So you can't just chase the promises of Scripture, but once you've begun to, to do things in the Lord, once He's begun that internal work in your heart and in your life, then we can begin to look for blessings down the road. Say, well, this is, this is awesome. This is really good, Lord. This is powerful. I want more. 
I want more of what you have for me, Lord. In Psalm 103, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. In Psalm 116, verse 12, it says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? See, the Lord is gracious in how he treats those that are his. The Lord bestows upon his elect great gifts and benefits. The Lord will strengthen those who are living, who are a living sacrifice for him. You know, I think that's what keeps believers around the world that face persecution. That's what keeps them going, isn't it? They've experienced the Lord's hand upon their life. And even though there's difficulty to come, they know that the Lord's benefits are real. So we have a choice. We have a clear choice to either partake of these benefits or not to. Because the second half of that same verse says, if we deny him, he will deny us. And in verse 13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we choose to ignore or disavow all that the Lord has shown us, it does not change the fact that the Lord God Almighty is still actively involved in the lives of those who seek him, those that desire to draw closer to him. It doesn't change that fact that he is looking over the creation that he created and he's looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him. The theme of this series is be strong. Well, in order to get strong, you have to establish certain spiritual disciplines. That's what we looked at last week. In order to be strong and stay strong, you have to continue with a disciplined life that will cause us to grow in the things of God and that will make us more available to be used by Him. The more disciplined we become, the more we'll be able to grow and the greater use we can be in God's kingdom. Here in verse 14, we get great encouragement from Paul to remember. Verse 14, it says, Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them in the sight of the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, to the subverting of them that hear. One key element of discipline is foundation, isn't it? For the believer, the foundation is already set. It's already built. No man can build another foundation. Any other foundation is compared to wood, hay, and stubble. And it has no foundational integrity. It cannot stand the test of time or the test of trial. We help ourselves when we remember what it is that we're building on, what it is that we're building our faith on. In the rest of verse 14, he says, to earnestly certify and proclaim this truth, the truth, the purity, and the genuineness of God's word. We should not spend time with words that bring about no profit. See, Timothy is a young pastor, and each of us as believers should not spend time with words that do not edify. We should not spend time with words that do not 
bring comfort. We should not spend time with words that do not exhort your brothers and sisters to draw closer to the Lord and to serve Him. We should not spend time with those things that bring about no profit. Oh, we could talk about other things, absolutely. And we can even joke around with each other. We do plenty of that, don't we? But does our, does our conversation edify our brothers and sisters? Are we encouraged by what we hear from our brothers and sisters? Verse 15 tells us how to do that, doesn't it? Verse 15 says, Study earnestly to present yourselves approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study. Study God's word. To study means to make an effort, to be prompt, to be earnest, to be diligent. Studying God's word takes work, but studying God's word works in your life. So many of us can say amen to that. Whether it's 15 minutes a day or 15 hours a week, if you put the time in, you will be approved by God as a workman who needeth not be ashamed. You know, last week we looked at the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And if we were anything, if we get anything from those three examples, we can get that we just spent a fraction of the time, a fraction of the effort that those three professions spent to accomplish their work. And we would be very, very blessed, wouldn't we? If we were disciplined like that in our walk with Christ, God would honor that in a very big way. To rightly divide the word of truth means to, to make a straight cut, to dissect correctly. Studying God's word is a privilege. It is an honor. And again, getting back to the saints around the world that don't get to do that, they don't get to do that because they don't have copies of God's word. And they face severe restrictions that we don't face. So we should take advantage of, of the fact that God's word is not chained and does not face the same restrictions. In verse 16 through 18, it speaks of what not to do in your walk with Christ. Verse 16 says, But shun profane, vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their, were, their word will eat like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have erred concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and who overthrow the faith of some. Profane and vain babblings do not profit the believer in any way. In fact, it will increase to more ungodliness. Keep away from empty-sounding discussions. They do not profit your walk. He names two particular individuals here who have erred concerning the truth. Their words led to more ungodliness, and it can overthrow or disable the faith of those that are listening. That's where we have to be careful sometimes, don't we? All the time. Because you never know who's listening. At the very least, your children are listening. At the very least, your children are watching how you're conducting your walk with Christ. So there's always someone watching, isn't there? And we have to be careful about the kind of things that we talk about, the kind of conversations we carry, and the way that we 
conduct ourselves, we have to keep these things in mind because somebody is watching and we don't want to overthrow or disable the faith of those that are listening. So finally, in verse 19, we get there. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Again, the foundation is set. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. No man can lay any other foundation that has the same strength. No man can lay any other foundation that has the same stability or the same integrity. There is no other foundation. We build on this foundation. We serve on this foundation. We grow on this foundation. It stands sure. It's solid and steadfast. See, the Lord knows those are His, doesn't He? The Lord knows those who are His. The Lord knows those who hunger and thirst for more of Him. The Lord knows those who are seeking to depart from unrighteousness. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. Anything else, anything else is a distraction. Anything else is a deception because it takes you away from where you need to be. And we need to be establishing a Christ-centered life in each of our lives, don't we? In Colossians 2, verse 8, it says, Beware, lest anyone rob you through philosophy and vain deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the elements of the world, and not according to Christ. Living a Christ-centered life is the way to go, isn't it? It's the way to go, because if you had another life before this, you know what that means. You know how that life takes you away from the things of God. You know how that life takes you, gets you off, a tra- off track and it can get you in severe trouble. It might even kill you. So living a Christ-centered life is the best thing that we can possibly do, isn't it? There are people and there are powers that want to rob your faith of what God is doing in your life. We all face spiritual warfare all the time, every day. And we have to be aware of that because it's, it's like, like robbery. The, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, doesn't he? And we need to be aware of that because in no time we can be on the wrong track if we're not careful. Remember, remember then there is no greater foundation than Jesus Christ. Remember then that you don't face the same restrictions like Paul faced and like believers today face who were persecuted for their faith. Remember that the Lord has given us His Word that has no restrictions, it has no chains, and that we will reign with Him if we step into His provision. If we study to present ourselves approved, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, God will honor that. And God will do a great work from the inside to the outside. The Lord knows those who are His. So be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. 
Be strong, not in what you can do. Be strong in what he has already done for you. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the encouragement of your word, Lord. The direction and the instruction that we get from your word, Lord, and even at times the awareness of things that perhaps we haven't thought of recently. Lord, I just pray for every person here, Lord, that you would minister to them according to where they're at with you right now. Minister to them, Lord, according to uh, the struggles that they face, the hurdles and challenges that are before them, Lord. And Lord, that Lord, teach them and show them that you answer every prayer. And sometimes, sometimes you don't answer prayers as we would like you to answer prayers. Oftentimes, Lord, you answer a prayer by just strengthening us, strengthening the shoulders of the person carrying the burden. Lord, help us to realize that as a possibility, and as you did with Paul, and you do with so many of us, Lord. You give us the strength. You sustain us, Lord, and you remind us that your grace is sufficient for us. Father, I pray that you touch every person here and bless them because they're here. Bless them as they study your word. Bless them as they encourage their brothers and sisters in you. Father, we thank you and we give you glory because of your goodness and your grace. We say these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, don't forget if you're... um, you're, uh, Going to go to LifeHouse with us?